Good morning, everybody. Okay, I think we're just going to keep all the kids in here today. Does that sound good? Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, all the kids, you can head out that back door. You get to go hang out with Silly and all the Kids Rock team and the Adventureland team. You're going to have a ton of fun today. Awesome. So good to have you out. Like Joel said, just want to say a big congrats to all the graduates and uh, graduates of our school and... And uh, had a great graduation, graduation ceremony on Friday night. And uh, the weather actually managed to hold off, which was a small miracle. I'm telling you, it was a battle on Friday night. Because getting there, there was an accident on the freeway. And so it's already like you're traveling there at 5 o'clock on a Friday, which is the busiest time. And then there's an accident on the freeway. And so, yeah, if you didn't get there early, you were on trouble in trouble on Friday night. But then, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful ceremony. And... Um, Super proud of, of all the grads. It's always such a, a cool moment as a parent. And if you never had this moment, um, you're in for a treat. But when your kid graduates, you're just like, you're so full of pride. You're so excited for your kid. And so we, we, uh, we didn't have any kids graduating. But just, just being able to be there and, and see all the parents and hear all the cheers from all the people as their, their graduates get their diplomas. And it's just super exciting. Although I always feel sorry for the kid that doesn't really get a lot of cheers. Is that, is that just me? They're just, it's just like quiet. And I just want to like, I want to yell when that happens. But I know that'll be awkward even more for that kid as there's that one guy at the top that's just cheering really loud. But we got to figure out a way to like help that kid. I don't know what we got to do, but maybe next year we bring like the CDK Ferndale cheering section and we just cheer really loud for that kid. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe they asked their family, hey, I don't want to have anybody cheering for me. You just, just be quiet, okay? Because you always have the kids that are like hardly anything, and then you have the kids that just, their families have the, the air horns and all that kind of stuff, and sometimes they're excited, and sometimes they're embarrassed that their families are making so much noise. But anyways, lots of fun. Love grad. Um, have you ever had one of those moments um, in life where somebody seriously challenged a core belief that you had that was just ingrained in who you, you are. Um, I remember a, mo a couple moments. Uh, I grew up in, in Canada, as most of you probably know. And in Canada, when it comes to pancakes, it's just butter and syrup. And uh, I never will forget the day that my grandparents, my mom's side's American, my dad's side's Canadian, but the day that my, my grandparents brought out the peanut butter when we had breakfast, and they smeared it on their pancakes. And I just remember thinking, what is this? And it was like the earth just shifted on its axis in that moment. And mind-blown, world-changing, perspective-changing moment as a, as a young kid. And I've never been the same since. It's amazing. Um, I had one of these moments about 15 years ago um, where I was, I was on the, the situation was I was on the verge of being hired in this church up in Canada. And... Uh, I met with the, the guy who was the lead pastor several times, and it was really close to happening. He had flown me and Becky down a couple times, and we kind of were like the, the, the moment where we were going to—this was the weekend where we, we were going to finally figure out if this was going to work or not. And so um, he'd had me come in on a Sunday morning, and he had me do a couple things. He had me uh, lead the worship, and he also had me preach that Sunday. And uh, things had been going really good up to that point, and, but that, that morning— 
there was some things that I saw in him that was like, man, I don't know if I could work, work with this. And there were just some issues. And, and so uh, that following Monday, the day after, uh, we got together. And I was going to ask him about some of these things that, that I saw that I was just like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work. And we got together over breakfast. And he had some, I had, had my, in my head that just the way the conversation was going to go. But it completely flipped around because he had some things that he saw in me where he was going, man, I don't know if I can work with this. And uh, there were just some, some issues around that kind of stemmed out of my lack of preparation that he'd seen in me. And, and to be woefully, I mean, to be fair to him, I, I'd been woefully unpre- underprepared for that, for that big weekend. And uh, I kind of grew up in a, in a really small town, in a uh, small, small church, and, and uh, where you just didn't— Preparation and excellence, all that kind of stuff just wasn't really up there as much as it was in this guy's church. And so as he was sharing all this stuff, it kind of stood out. Wow, there, he, he actually has, has a pretty good point here. And, um, but the outlook of me and this guy working together to lead this church was, it wasn't looking very bright. But still wanting the job and hoping that this, we could somehow work through these issues that we had, mine with him and him with me, um, I, I said to him with all the confidence in the world, I said, hey, I, I want to see if we can make this work. And, and I, I told them that, these, yeah, these were weaknesses. Clearly, they were weaknesses. And that I knew I could change. And which in that moment, when I said that, he made a, a jarring statement opposing a long-held belief that had, had become so much a part of who, who I was and still am that even 15 years later, I remember his words in that moment. He looked at me, and with sincerity and, um, and just kind of questioning, he said, Rich, does anybody really change? Does anybody really change? Like, when you get right down to it, are we just kind of the same all the way through life, or does anybody really change? And his thinking was that there, there are parts of us who just are who we are, um, which I, I would totally agree with on— him on that point, um, the, the personality and the temperament that you and I have that we've been born with, for the most part, that's not going to change. Um, there's areas of giftedness that we have that won't change. As much as I wish that I was brilliant with math and that I could just like become this gifted astrophysicist one day that could fly to the moon, that's not going to happen. Not going to change. I could probably spend hours and hours trying to change that, but not going to change. Um, the family, the world that I've grown up in, can't change that, can't change the past. But I think what disturbed me the most about this, this guy's comment was that he was questioning whether or not character could really change. You see, a deep belief and conviction uh, of the Christian faith is that our character is constantly changing for the better. Scripture says it like this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God do what? transform you into a new person by doing what? Changing the way you think and as a result, the way you act and behave. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 18 says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are what? Changed into His glorious image. And to be a follower of Jesus is to be somebody who is in the process of being changed. And this, by the way, is a really good thing. 
It means that you don't have to be stuck in ways of living that are, are weighing you down. It means you don't have to remain hopeless. It means you don't have to stay stuck in a place of being self-centered. You can actually be changed into becoming a person that's really generous and loving and other-centered. It means you don't have to be stuck in despair and depression and sadness. It means you can actually be a person that, that knows a deep-down joy even when life is, is really hard. But if change, if transformed character for the better is the hope of every follower of Jesus, then why does it seem sometimes like we don't ever really change? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered why that is? You know, sometimes, I, I don't know if you're in this boat, but sometimes when I look back on my life, I go, man, have I, have I ever really changed that much? Like, am I, am, I just, am I the same person I was 10, 15, 20 years ago? Like, what, what has really, when we come right down to the core of, of who Rich Warner is, has anything really changed? Because a lot of times for me, it seems like that old proverbial one step forward, three steps back. One step forward, three steps back. One step forward, you get the point. And there can be a, a frustration over why, why God, who is an all-powerful God, why doesn't he just instantly change us? Why does everything have to be a process, a process that sometimes seems to take years, decades, a whole entire lifetime? And then sometimes the change process is confusing. You know, is it like, is it 25% me that does the work when it comes to change and 75% the Holy Spirit? Or is that flipped around where it's, it's, it's 25% the Holy Spirit's job and 75% me putting in the time and the effort? Or is it, just, is it 50-50? Like, how does this change thing, this transformation thing, how does it, how does it really happen? And what I'd like to do over the next uh, three weeks is we have a, we're going to do a short sermon series here simply called Transform. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it means to be changed, what it means to be transformed, and we're going to look at even some of the, starting today, we're going to get into some of the theology of that. You know, a lot of times what I do up here, I tell you this from time to time, there's really two parts of what I do. Sometimes it's just flat out preaching, it's declarative, it's the gospel, it's, it's you need this and that, and, and other times it's teaching, it's more unpacking and getting down into the, 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 just the depth of doctrine and theology, and both are, are, are equally important. And what I'd like to do, though, is, is kind of get into some of, the, some of the theology of change. And what that's going to do is, in, on, on July 10th, we're going to be starting a brand new summer series called Flourish. And, and this is going to get us ready for that. And in this summer series, we're going to look at some practical ways that we can grow and change and just really be people that are, are rather than being like dead trees and dead shrubs, we're like flourishing, growing, lots of fruit kind of people. And as a follower of Jesus, there, there are a few things that you need to know about change. So if you're a note person taking, here's, here's note number one. Um, as a follower of Jesus, something you need to know about change is that change is a central part of following him. It is a central part of following Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, that famous scene on the beach, Jesus is just this new guy on the block. He sees four fishermen on the, doing their thing, cleaning their nets, mending their nets, all this kind of stuff. He comes up to them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately the Bible says they left their nets and they followed him. And his invitation wasn't to become consumers of this teaching that he had. His invitation to them wasn't to come and watch him do a bunch of cool stuff. His invitation to them uh, wasn't that they would come and learn some new philosophies of living. His invitation was to follow him and to become something. 
He said, follow me and I will make you into something that you currently aren't. I will make you, I will change you into becoming a fisher of men. They would be changed, changed guys. And for these disciples of Jesus, um, big changes actually happened immediately. Uh, part of the changing was this instant career change. They left their jobs as fishers of men, and they basically entered into the school, the Jesus school of fishing for people. And when they did, they didn't just become followers of Jesus, they actually became apprentices of Jesus, which gets to a, a big part of following Jesus and, and the change that happens in us um, that so many people misunderstand. Following Jesus is not about showing up to church on Sundays. Following Jesus is, is not about agreeing to a new belief system. It's not about reading your Bible more. It's not about volunteering in, in church programs more. Yes, these are all part of it, but it is a, it's primarily about becoming an apprentice of Jesus. And in much of the church, what it means to be a Christian has actually become very watered down. Many think that being a Christian simply means that you identify with a certain set of values— uh, it, it means you believe in family and faith and contributing to society, becoming a better place. Um, they think that it means you, you, you show up to a church service a couple times a year. You, you likely pray before your meals. It means your parents and your grandparents were likely Christian. Understand something today. Although that might be a good way to live, it is something that is drastically different than what Jesus is calling us into and inviting us into. He invites us into a life where he is center, central in, in all we do and in who we are. He is the one we worship above everything and everyone else. He's the one we're following. He is the one that we are becoming like. We, we're apprenticed to him. And the reason you become an apprentice to anybody is so that you will learn to become like that person. You become an a, 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 a electric, electrician apprentice so you, you can learn the ropes of what it means to become be an, elect, an electrician. You become apprentice to someone so you can learn what, what they do and how they do it, so you'll be changed. We, we in the church, we call this discipleship. It's, no, it's following Jesus so that you will be changed and become like Jesus. And all throughout the New Testament, we see people, they're, they're changing as they follow Jesus. You have this guy, Peter. He is this guy that's kind of spineless. He's a little hot-headed, and he doesn't have a lot of uh, courage, and then, then eventually, though, as he's following Jesus, and Jesus comes back to life, we see he's completely changed, and in one moment, he's, he's afraid, and then the next moment, we see that the Bible says that Peter stood up with the eleven in front of literally thousands of people, raised his voice, and addressed this crowd. He's in Jerusalem, probably within earshot of the same people that had just crucified Jesus only a couple months prior, and here's, here's Peter, completely transformed and changed. Then there's this guy who's oppressed and tormented by demons. His mind is full of fear, loneliness, anger, depression, who knows what else. He encounters Jesus, and next thing we, we read is that the people saw him, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, transformed. And there's the story of the lady whose brokenness has led her from one man to another man, one relationship to another relationship. She had five husbands, was now living with, with a man who wasn't her husband. She encounters Jesus. Next thing we read, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
she told all of her neighbors. So she experiences freedom. She experiences wholeness, love on a level that she'd never known before, and she becomes something different. She becomes somebody different. Rather than being about her, just having her needs met, her brokenness, all of a sudden she shifts, and she's about telling others all about this amazing guy, Jesus. And we could go on and on and on. When Jesus shows up, change happens. We are transformed. It is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we could go from person to person to person in this room today, and you would testify that, yeah, that is, that's, that is truth. When you encounter Jesus, when you follow Jesus, when you make him your Lord and Savior, and you center your life on Jesus, he changes us. He transforms us. It is central. Change is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Number two is this. This is, I think, what often trips us up as followers of Jesus when we don't understand this. Change happens in stages. It happens in stages. And uh, we have this, this big word in the Christian dictionary that describes this. That word is sanctification. And uh, it's closely connected with another big word that we use, uh, justification. These words are important in understanding what happens when we give our lives to Jesus and what happens afterwards. So the stage number one, when it comes to the change that happens in, in us, is our past is changed. Our past is changed. Think for a minute, just right now, in this moment, um, whether you're in the building, you're watching online, just, just think for a minute where you were when you first found Jesus, where you first put your faith and trust in Jesus. Where were you when that happened? Maybe you're at a friend's place and you're, you're just telling that friend about your life and they're telling you about this guy, Jesus, and in that moment you put your faith and trust in him. Maybe you were at a camp of some sort, a youth camp. Maybe you were over in a kid's classroom and a teacher told you about Jesus. Maybe you're sitting in this room and a, a preacher in this room or another room is talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus, and in that moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Wherever you were, though, there was a moment where you decided, like the disciples did on that beach, you decided that you were going to follow Jesus. You made a decision in that moment that you're no longer going to be about yourself. You're going to actually turn from your way of living and put your faith and trust in Jesus. And in that moment, you might not know this, but a radical transformation happened inside of you. You were instantly made right with God. You went from being under God's judgment, under God's wrath, to being completely forgiven of all your sin. How amazing is that? And not just forgiven, you were adopted into his family, made a son or daughter of the King of Kings. All that happened in an instant. The change, the radical transformation, transformation inside of you was instantaneous. Instantaneous. You see, all of us inherited something when we were born, and it wasn't good. We were, we were all born with what the Bible calls a sinful nature. The Bible puts it like this. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone had sinned. We inherited this, this sinful nature. You know, the idea that we are inherently good, and this is like a, a, an idea out there in culture and society, this idea that we are inherently good, um, and not sinful. It's, it's just not true. As any parent of toddlers in this room would attest to in a heartbeat. And then there's also this idea that we're becoming better and better 
and better. It's just naturally happening. We're just evolving into better and better people. And that is not reality, as anybody, uh, my wife included, who works in a senior's home will attest to. They are not all bubbling over with love and warmth and friendliness and kindness and compassion. No, we were all born with this sinful nature, which is to say that we, here's what that means. It means that we all have this disposition or we all have this tendency towards sin. In fact, this tendency to sin is actually so strong that Scripture in Romans 6, 17 describes us as being slaves to sin. In other words, you just can't go out and magically stop. Before Jesus, we had no ability to live a life pleasing to God. But when you surrender your life to Jesus, the old self with its sinful nature and that tendency, that predisposition towards sin is crucified, the Bible says, with, with Christ. And we are set free from sin. The Bible puts it like this. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might do what? It loses its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. There's a lot of good news here this morning, isn't there? No longer slaves to sin. But what exactly does that mean? Well, now instead of a sinful nature, you know what kind of nature we have, or, or rather whose nature we have, we have what the Bible calls the divine nature. It is now who inside of us? It's now Christ in us. The Bible says by His divine nature, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If you don't think you have what it takes to live a godly life, that is not true. The Bible says you've been given everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to catch this phrase. They enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Did you catch that? You share His divine nature. No sinful nature anymore. Now you share His divine nature. It's this miraculous, instant change that happens in you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The old self with its old nature is gone. And like the Bible declares, the old has passed away. You are now a new creation. Now, does this mean that when we give our lives to Jesus that we just automatically stop, we just change and stop sinning? Is that what that means? No. Sin does not cease to exist. Sin is still very real. Temptation is very real. But what's changed is our relationship to sin. Instead of it being this inner force that is controlling us, that we are enslaved to, now it's this outer force that tempts us. We're no longer slaves to it. We're freed from it. Which raises the question, well then how come so much of who I was before Jesus, you know, the person that I was back then that I, I desperately want to have changed, I, wanna, I want it to be different, how come so much of that person that I was before Jesus is still the same person I am now that I have Jesus? Why do I still struggle with the same addictions? Why is my mind still consumed with fear and worry? Why am I still so quick to become argumentative and self-centered and angry and all these things? Even the Apostle Paul, in frustration, confessed, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. 
Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody ever been there? And if I'm no longer a slave to sin, why does it sometimes feel like I am? In all honesty, if I'm no longer a slave, why does it feel sometimes like I am? And this brings us to stage two of change. And that's this. Our present, our present moment, us in the present is being changed. And the struggle, the battle is no longer between the old sinful nature and this new divine nature. The old nature, like we just read, it's been, it's been crucified with Christ. It's dead. The struggle is with something else. And the Bible actually points us in the direction revealing what that something else is that we struggle with. It says this in Galatians chapter 5, 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Isn't that a good calling? You're called to be free. You're called to be free. You're called to be free. Somebody needs to hear that in the room today. Because you think that following Jesus is a call to bondage. It's a call to a life of, of joyless living. It's a call to leave the life of fun and, and all this kind of stuff. Teenagers especially seem to struggle with this idea. Jesus is, is, is declaring truth here. You're not called to bondage. The invitation to follow Jesus is a calling to be free. Then the Bible goes on to say, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh— rather serve one another humbly in love. And the battle that, that we have as followers of Jesus when it comes to change and who we're becoming and who we were, it's no longer with the sinful nature that's inclined to sin, but there's a new opponent. The Bible describes it here. It's the flesh. And in stage one, we see that Jesus is doing all the work. He is the one that is putting the sinful nature to death. He does all that inner transformation inside us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Another big church word that we use sometimes, it's called regeneration, where He just comes in, He shifts and changes and makes everything new. Stage one, it's all Jesus. But stage two, we are now involved in the process of change. In fact, the Bible says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You and me, we are involved in the stage two process of that big word sanctification. We have a part to play here. So, so what exactly is the flesh? Well, the best way that I've ever heard it described is, is like this. You're going to have to stick with me for a second here because we're going to kind of unpack some stuff here. But best way I've ever heard it described is like this. You and I, we both have a, a conscious part of who we are and a subconscious part of who we are. So when you learn, first learn how to drive, that conscious part of who you are is just like in overdrive. You're having to constantly think about, okay, does my foot go on the, is, which one's the gas pedal? Is it this one or this one? You're having to think about, um, as you're merging onto the freeway where all the cars are at, and your brain's just constantly thinking about turn signals and speedometers and oil gauges, and you're just thinking, 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 thinking. That's the conscious part of you playing this really big role. But what happens is that pretty soon, as you spend more and more time driving, you develop habits, you develop patterns, you develop ways of thinking to the point that driving becomes so ingrained in who you are that you almost don't even need to think in order to drive. It's the, the reason 
that you can go from Ferndale to Costco and you get there and you're like, I don't even remember that 20-minute drive. I hope I didn't almost just like sideswipe somebody on the freeway or something because I don't remember a thing of what just happened. It's so ingrained in your, in your, your, your subconscious. And this happens over and over again, right? It's the same thing that happens when you brush your teeth. You don't have to think about brushing your teeth, but when you're a little toddler and you're, you're trying to teach your kid how to brush their teeth, it's just you're thinking about everything. And it's, it's the same thing that happens when it comes to things like riding a bike, walking around the house, putting on your clothes. You don't have to think about how you're going to do these things. You just do them because the patterns are just ingrained in who you are. And it's the same thing when it comes to sin to that old way of living in our lives. The sinful nature that ruled us before Jesus made us new, it caused us to develop sinful patterns, habits that are ingrained in our flesh. They are ingrained in us. We were influenced by the books we read, by the movies we watched, by the music we listened to. We were influenced by traumatic events in our lives. We were influenced by friends, family, teachers. We learned to live in this world apart from God. And the sinful habits and the patterns became automatic, just sort of who we are. You know, we don't have to think about bursting out in anger, just what we've always done. We don't have to think about going to the liquor cabinet to, to cope with loneliness or depression. It's just what we've always done. And when you were born again, when you gave your life to Jesus, He put to death the old nature, forgave the past, made you a new creation with a new divine nature. However, He did not hit the reset button, the all-clear button on the flesh. In case you haven't noticed, that didn't happen. <laughs> to which you might wonder, okay, well, why didn't God just hit the reset button? Why are those habits and patterns still there? Why did he not just come along and make me perfect? And Scripture doesn't really actually give a, a super clear, super clear, like, here's the answer in a nutshell kind of thing. But there's, there's, there's different reasons, which we won't get into this morning. Some of those reasons might be that it's just what it means to be human. We just struggle. It's a broken rule. Another reason, it might, might be because that, that brokenness, that struggle with the flesh— it keeps us in a place of constantly having to depend, to depend on God. I mean, think about it. If we just had it all figured out, and we just would probably say, yeah, hey, we don't need God. We just, we got this all figured out on our own. Um, but another reason is it keeps us in a place of longing for heaven, where the third stage of change happens. So there's the past, the first stage, the past, where God comes in, he forgives the past. There's a second stage where he is, he is changing the present. He's changing us it's changing who we are. Our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ, but we still struggle with this thing called the flesh. But then there's coming a day where we will be changed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be like that scene at the end of every fairy tale. You know, think, you think Beauty and the Beast, the, the land is dark, and it's thorns and thistles and all this kind of stuff. And, and in an instant, usually you had a kiss, <laughs> in an instant, everything is just radically transformed. It's life. And, and, and Scripture describes what's going to happen in the future like this. It says, The Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like His own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which He is putting everything as it should be under and around Him. Instantly changed. 
So three, three things to know about change. One, change is central, a central part of following Jesus. Two, change doesn't happen like this. It happens in stages. And the third thing is this. We're all changing. Becoming something. The only question is, who, who are you becoming like? We're all changing. I think when it comes to that question, who are you becoming like, I think there's, there's really three options out there. I think the, the first thing is you can go, okay, I'm going to become more of me. I'm going to become more, more of myself, which sounds pretty noble, right? Like, I'm going to become me. I'm just going to become all that I could be. And, and uh, you know, we used to have that, that phrase in our home, be yourself, everybody else is taken, be you. And it sounds really noble, except during those times that I want to be completely selfish, during those times that I want to make life all about me and who I am, it, it, it sounds really noble until I see who, who I really am. A person who's proud, a man prone to play it safe and comfortable, who deep down wants to rebel, wants to irritate people who rub me the wrong way, wants to hoard what's mine. Come on, honest moment this morning. <laughs> it sounds noble at first, changing just becoming more of who you are but being changed into more of me is not a great idea when you really think about it i think the second option is is that you can become like a role model maybe you want to be like your favorite sports star maybe you got a movie star that you're like i just want to be like that person maybe you want to be like your dad or your mom or maybe maybe you have a person in the bible that you look at and you go, i want to be like moses or david and, and i think it's good to have role models in your life but what about when that role model goes off the rails? We got a, a way too intimate glimpse over the last two months of how even the biggest movie stars have just as much brokenness and dysfunction as everybody else. Um, the Bible role models aren't actually a lot better. David has an affair, and then he decides to cover it up by murdering somebody. Um, Want to be like that? Um, you know, becoming like your favorite role model, when you stop and think about it, also doesn't really seem like a great idea. But there is a third option. And I think you know where I'm going this morning. You can become like Jesus. He is the only perfect person who ever lived. He is perfect love. He is perfect peace. He is perfect joy. He is perfect purpose. He is, he is perfect truth. And, and the good news for everybody listening this morning, it doesn't matter how old you are or young you are, is that he invites you to follow him, to become like him, to allow him to change you from the inside out into his glorious image. And he invites you. He's inviting all of us to be apprenticed to him. And as we wrap up, I'm just going to ask Jessica and the team to come as we, as we wrap up. First question I want to ask, just two questions this morning. First one is this, have you been fo following Jesus? Have you really been following Jesus? And maybe there's somebody listening today, and as I was sharing a little bit about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, it's not just a cultural identity. It's, it's actually centering your life around the person of Jesus and becoming his apprentice. You're following him. And we'll look more in the coming weeks and months, actually, what that actually means to be apprentice to him. But, but you're following him. You know that he's real. You know that he's alive, and you, you just want to become like him. And, and maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe for you, being a Christian is just something you do because your parents do this Christian thing, or 
your grandparents do this Christian thing or it just seems like the right thing to do and in the world that you're, your context, whatever that might be. Maybe you do it because it just seems best for the kids. And what Jesus is asking you to do today is he's saying, no, I'm, 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 I'm looking at you and I'm asking you, do, do you want to follow me? He's inviting you just like he did with, with the guys on the beach in Matthew 4. He's saying, come, follow me follow me and I'll change you and it's, it's going to be all for the good yes some of it might be hard change isn't always easy but he's saying come follow me I'm going to make you into something something beautiful, something amazing and then maybe somebody else the second question is, is have you been trying to become like Jesus on your own trying to change on your own trying to fight the battles all, your, all on your own and Jesus is inviting you today to make a shift. He's inviting you to come to him, to follow him. And, and, and yeah, you have a part to play, but, but sometimes in the church, and I've been so guilty of this over the years, we just put the whole load on ourselves. Like, I gotta be the one that's making all the change. I gotta be the one that's striving and working and trying to perfect this thing called, called the, the Christian life, whatever that looks like. And, and it's just, we put this heavy burden on ourselves, right? And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, it didn't start that way, and I'm not calling you to continue that way. I'm actually calling you to a place of rest, to abide in me. I'm calling you to, to, to come and, and, and be like that, that Psalm 23 person who's there following the shepherd, letting him refresh you, letting him change you as you just yoke yourself to him. He's inviting you to come and lay that burden of change at his feet just find his yoke which he says and he promises is easy and it's light that's his call to us today to live from grace knowing that his strength is perfect in our weakness so as we wrap up this morning I just want to pray for us and I want to give you a moment this morning too as we pray just to let the Holy Spirit really speak to you and show you where you've been where, where have you been at when it comes to following Jesus Heavenly Father God, how amazing is the invitation that you extend to all of us? How amazing is it that, God, we are not called to bondage, God. We're not called to this yoke of drudgery and just lifeless living. Lord, you invite all of us, you call us to be free. God, to know life and life to the full, that's what you invite us to. That's what you're inviting every single one of us to who's, who's in the room today. And Father, I just, I, I come against the lie of the enemy that would say otherwise, the lie of the enemy that would say the way of Jesus is gonna lead to lifelessness. The way of Jesus is not gonna live to freedom. The way of Jesus is not gonna be in your best interest. The way of Jesus is, is actually gonna be just a road that, that just sucks the life right out of you. I come against that lie in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that your truth would break through that lie even right now in this moment. Jesus, you have called us life and life to the full. God, you have called us to a life of being apprenticed to the one who is the living water, the one who is the bread of life. You've called us to a life of not just... Um, following behind and watching you and, and hearing about you and listening to you, but God, you've called us to this life of being changed and transformed from the inside out. And 
Father, I pray that today, that God, we would, we would have the, the, the faith and the trust to say yes to following you in this life. Help us, I pray, Jesus. Help us, I pray. In your name. Everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Awesome. We're going to get into this a little bit more over the next couple weeks and just dive into what change looks like. And, and uh, maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you've been trying to change and you've got some questions. Shoot those out to me and we'll, we'll try to answer them in the next couple weeks here. And as, as we look at this important part of, of being a follower of Jesus and just being transformed by his power and might. We're going to wrap up by singing one last song. So why don't you stand? We've got the ushers here at the end of the rows. And if this is your home church, um, we just invite you, make this an opportunity of worship where you give back to God tithes and offering. If you're a guest, let the bucket pass you right on by. But let's just declare the name of Jesus as we sing this last song together in closing. God bless.